Welcome to the fourth episode of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCain. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with the leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage broking business you are proud of. Today we have Otto Dargan from Home Loan Experts joining me. This was recorded back in February prior to the coronavirus becoming what it is today. The information is still great information, so I wanted to share it with you. So please enjoy. Hi, my name is Ross Lacane. Welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. Uh, I've got a special guest with me today, Otto Dargan from Otto Home Loan Experts. Welcome, Otto. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So firstly, just tell me a little bit about Home Loan Experts, how you got started and a little bit about the business. Yeah, so uh, I got started, actually, I started as a broker when I was 18. 18, wow. 18, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I really had no idea what I was doing. But I think back then the industry was um, pretty new. And um, so I've been able to watch the industry grow as I've grown as well. Hmm. So I worked for a mortgage manager for four years before starting my own business in 2006. Okay, interesting. And so were you a broker straight off the bat at ATEN? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Um, uh, I didn't initially get a great deal of training, but I had some great mentors. Hmm. And so over time, um, I learned quite a lot um, there at the mortgage manager. And um, I, it really helped me when I did become a broker. Yeah, okay. So you were doing back office stuff? No, I was straight away a broker. Straight into it? Day one, yeah. Day one. And what year was that? Uh, that would have been, I think, 2002, 2003? 2003, yeah. Yeah, very similar. I started about 2001. So yeah, yeah different very, world back yeah, then. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. back with the, the calculator and the paper application. So, yeah, definitely. Um, so that was how you got started. And then, so Home Loan Experts, when did that come along? So in 2006, I started Home Loan Experts, and um, my business plan was to have about three staff or thereabouts. And so I just started working, um, actually was run from a share house. I was okay. sharing a house with some friends. <laughs> and so the business was on the couch. Yeah. And so I had my phone and my printer, and that was the business. And so back in the day, how did you go about generating leads? You know, as yeah. a... Obviously, it's a startup brand. You know, you, you've started your business. You've got a couple of years' experience. You're all of 22, 23 years old. Yeah. So how did you go about you know, generating business back then? I spent a lot of time going to events, getting to meet people, particularly going to any property investment events or seminars or anything like that. Yeah. Um, I purchased some leads online, which that was a bit of a disaster. <laughs> but, <laughs> Um, and then every client I did get, I really worked hard to make sure I got referrals as well. Okay. So, do you remember in that first year what sort of volumes you would have done in your first year? I can't remember, but it, it certainly, the first six months in particular wasn't great. Yeah. And, you know, I started in 2006 and mm. we know what happened in the following two yeah. years, right? Yeah. Uh, so then pretty much my business got turned upside down mm. in the GFC. Mm. Um, but interestingly, I found the GFC was actually probably the best thing that happened to my business mm. because uh, there was there were so many people wanting to buy a property and get a loan, uh, but the, the banks were all over the place and the broker market was all over the place. You know, as well. like a month to get a yeah. loan approval by the yeah, time they right. picked up your file yeah. and you need to resubmit uh, all the documentation. Yeah, it's crazy. 
And back then, of course, yeah. there were times the bank would just lose the fire, so that was always fun. Yeah. But um, yeah, the GFC ended up being really good for my business because we had a large amount of demand, and at the same time, the banks were letting go a lot of their really good staff. Yeah. And so there was an opportunity for businesses that wanted to grow. Um, they, you know, it was easier to bring brokers into the business at that time. Oh, definitely, and I think you know when looking at times to grow, it's quite often at the when the market's down, or it creates those opportunities because a lot of people are sort of go into their shells. Where if you can seize those opportunities, I know back then we did a similar sort of thing. Combined a number of branches and got on the phones, and yeah. our business, you know. It, we had our best year definitely in that year. So you took that opportunity yeah. um, around the GFC. And so how many staff did you have at, at that time? Uh, we grew to, um, it was kind of progressive each year. We grew a little bit. But we um, During the GFC, I think we went from one to five or six staff. Yeah, wow. All brokers. Um, and then we, we continued to grow over time. That and where well. were your leads coming in yeah. order to obviously put additional brokers on at that point? So initially it was all coming from my, my personal referrals and networks and things like that. Um, but then um, we started uh, building a website and trying to generate some internet leads. Mm. And that creates a lot of volume, but it doesn't necessarily create profit because the percentage of those leads that convert is obviously a bit lower. Yeah. But the advantage of having a marketing source is that it's a lot easier to delegate marketing leads to your brokers mm. than it is to delegate your own personal customers who usually want to deal with you. Oh, exactly. And, yeah. and you know, with other brokers looking to, to grow a business, I know we're going to talk about this more later, but you know, quite often you see that you know the, the perfect time for them to bring on a new broker is when they're self-generating to the point that they're at their capacity yes. and that they've got excess leads to then bring someone in to, to look to, to be able to feed them because they need that to, to be able to get started and um, you know, to start that transition and growth. I guess. Yeah, it's, it's essential. If you're going to bring brokers in and you don't have any leads, then you know, you're setting them up to have a really hard time to become a broker. Oh, definitely. You're setting up them to fail. Basically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, so... All right, so that's around 2009. And so what really sort of kick-started Homebound Experts after, yeah. after that? So um, I think the next big step for us, so it was the GFC that was building our website. Mm. The next big step was me trekking in Nepal, okay. which um, you might see. We've got a picture. Yeah, of I've just been in Nepal myself, so it looks very, uh, very yeah. familiar. Yeah, very familiar. So... Uh, I, I had a friend who wanted to go to Everest Base Camp and he convinced me to come along and I didn't even know where Nepal was. Um, I didn't know anything about Nepal. I thought everyone had petty acts and was a Sherpa, which is not the case, <laughs> I'm sure you. No, definitely beautiful people, mate. Very beautiful mm. people. So I went, um, I went along and had a great time on the trek and um, while I was in Kathmandu, I met someone who was exceptionally smart. And um, I was just blown away by his knowledge of the global financial markets and his understanding of business. And um, I was I was just stunned at, at the just the level that he was at. And so I actually offered him a job on the spot. And so that's how we started having uh, a team in the hall. And that was so he, he was your first 
yeah, Nepal staff and um, just met him randomly on a trek and that's how your whole Nepal office started. I've just come back from Nepal and I uh, visited your office and it's 160 strong and, you know, consistently growing. So, yeah, amazing story. So how did it get from, from one to many? Yeah, it was very chaotic at the beginning mm-hmm. and um, I think starting an overseas office, it's... Uh, I look back now and I wonder how we did it because we, we really had no idea what we were doing. There's you know, a totally different legal system, totally different culture. Um, you know, when people are brought up with a, a different belief system completely, mm. there's a big gap you know, that you've got to, uh, got to cross there. And um, also it's understanding the different strengths and weaknesses of different teams. Mm. Like we find an Australian team is really good at innovation. Um, whereas our, our team in Nepal, they'll be really, really good at implementation. Mm. And so when you can get the two to work together well, you can get the best of both worlds. And that's exactly what you need yeah. in a business. So, you know, I've heard Mark Burris say on a LinkedIn thing yesterday, cutting and sewing, right? He's a yeah. great cutter, yeah. and he's got a team that comes back and, yeah. you know, sews behind him. So that's exactly what you're saying. You've got your Australian team. It's the innovators, yeah. and then you've got the Nepali team that are the doers that get the stuff done. Yeah, that's it. And then um, there's there's a, quite a few people in our Nepal team that are becoming innovators. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge with an offshore team is that they don't have the same exposure to Australia and the banks and to customers and the property market that we do here in Australia. So they've got the intelligence, mm-hmm. but they're not enabled with the experience. Exactly. And so it's how you how you bring that diversity of thought. To your team overseas is, is very important. Yeah, I was really impressed when I was over there and um, I did a session on self-managed super funds, which is probably one of the most technical yeah. things that you can discuss. And we were talking about it and I was really impressed by the level of expertise that a lot of your staff had with such a technical product, you know. So, yeah, it blew me away. We train them well yeah. and we hold them to a high standard. So, yeah. oh, exactly. Yeah. So it's the um, it's that whole training piece. So so you went from one staff. Let's go back track a little yeah. bit. So you went from one staff in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, twenty twelve. Yeah. Twenty twelve. Okay. And then and then how did the growth progress from there? Yeah. So we we started off very chaotically. We kind of hired haphazardly. Mm-hmm. We had our team all working from home. We didn't have an office. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, when finally we got foreign investment approval with the Nepalese government, which that was a whole another. Let's not even get into yeah, that. Yeah. Um, then we we founded our office and we started to grow our team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, we, we were very lucky that the first person that employed over there was at a very, very high level. Mm. And I think that's very important with your business is that the first few people you employ, they've, they've got to be amazing. Yeah. Um, I would even go as far as say everyone, your yeah. employees should be amazing. Yeah. Uh, but that enabled us to grow. Yeah. And we we had many hard lessons along the way. Mm. Um, from like in Nepal, at the early days, it was kind of like camping. You kind of had to bring everything yourself. So we had a generator for electricity, we had multiple internet connections. Now things are a lot more stable there and everything's pretty fine. Um, and we had a lot of challenges with hiring initially because the the market over there is quite different in terms of labour. 
And so we see that there's different strengths and weaknesses over there to Australia. Yeah. Um, and so what we ended up doing is finding certain groups of students that were particularly good for hiring. Yeah, I noticed you had a really dynamic young yeah. team there and, um, yeah, a little bit different to, you know, an office you'd see in Australia. They're, they're super smart, super switched on, um, really intelligent and a, a really great feel of what's going on in the market. Um, but, yeah, definitely a young, a young feel for your team. Sure. I think that's an important point for all brokers is that there's not just niches in terms of customers, mm. there's niches in terms of staff. Mm. And so I see that there's a lot of brokers in Australia that have hired working mums or um, you know young people that, and bringing them into the industry. But for each business, what they need and what the solutions will be will be different. Mm. And so we've found different niches in hiring as well. Yeah, definitely. And I agree. And I know in, in my business, um, you know, we looked at what was the needs of the business. Sometimes yeah. you're looking to groom someone to become an, in a broker role. So you might take on your, your, pro, your loan process might be more a trainee type. Sometimes you're looking just for someone stable that's going to be happy to stay in that sort of role yeah. for for a number of years, so you might choose your, your mum that's got a couple of kids that wants to work nine to five, be out the, be out the door at five o'clock and is quite happy to work close to home, you know. So I, I think you're exactly right in that in terms of what, what does the business really need at this point in time or what will it need in two to, to three to five years' time because you want to groom someone to grow into the roles that you're really looking for down the track. Exactly right. Mm. And I know we were talking about that with your um, different roles and your broker stuff because you've actually got a few people from Nepal working in your office. So you've groomed them all the way up from coming in to your admin team and then working yeah. through. Yeah. We, um, great stories. One of our brokers, uh, Mohit, he was working selling buses in Nepal with yeah. all things. Okay. Um, and he he saw an ad with us to become a loan processing specialist. He didn't know what that was. He didn't know what mortgage broking was. Mm. He knew of Australia, but he'd never been there. Yeah. Um, but he saw the salary. <clears throat> the salary was slightly higher, so he applied for the job. He, he got the job and he didn't really know anything yeah. about what we were doing. But um, Mohit worked really, really hard. Um, we promoted him from being support yeah. to being one of our post-settlement support, so looking after all our settled clients. Uh, and then he started to learn how to assess loans and do credit. Mm. And um, then he eventually came to Australia as a broker, and he's done really, really well here. So he's been on the full journey, and um, I think he's been with us about four years now. Yeah, so his level of expertise and, you know, for other people looking to to hire people, you know, he's got the home loan expert's way. Yeah. He understands the product, he understands the back office, and now, you know, he's graduated to the point where he's a successful broker, you know, so and very loyal um, to you and, and to, to your team. And yeah. some um, think of it, like, in terms of business, you've got to think of what is the valuable final product of the business. Mm. And for most broking businesses, it's a settled loan. Mm. It's the valuable final product. And we've kind of had a shift in mindset in that our valuable final product, it's still a settled loan, but it's also um, a highly competent staff member. Exactly. 
So yeah. we, we kind of see ourselves as like a training academy hmm. and we've really shifted towards having a big focus on hiring and training. Which, you know, and you look at the market, you look at the successful brokers and the way they get the majority of their clients is through repeat or referral business, right? Yeah. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's about creating that customer experience with a well-trained, developed person to get you know that end result, which is a happy customer. You know, it's not even about a set of dollars at the end of the day. All you want is those relationships and those connections um, with those people. So, I wanted to sort of talk a little bit about business strategy and yeah. and, and you know about and your advice for for people if they are looking to take their business to the next level. And what's you know your sort of thoughts on that? Yeah, so um, strategy is something that we have tried many different things. Um, I'd say 80% of what we've tried has failed pretty miserably. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 10% has been phenomenal and 10% is kind of average. So you, firstly, with strategy, accept that there's going to be a lot of failure. You can do all the research you want, but most stuff, when the plan touches the real world, everything just blows up, right? Exactly. Yeah. Failing forward, yeah. we like to call it in that's our business. Right. Failing yeah. forward, you know, that's the only way you can learn. That. Yeah, opportunities yeah. to learn. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So um, what what I believe the, the easiest thing for most brokers is look at what you're doing already that already works hmm. and focus on it. Yes. So that means actually it's not about doing new things, it's about cutting out the things that are not working yes so that you can focus on that one thing that that is working really well for you mm. typically it's a niche of some kind Definitely. so um i saw a um another connective broker at a function and i was talking to her about her business and um she had ended up really really close with the afghani community mm. and she's not afghani and she's got no connection with them otherwise but she just happened to have one client who referred another, who referred another. Next thing she knows, she's the trusted broker that everyone goes to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was talking to her about her strategy, you know, and she was kind of surprised that this is this is how her business has ended up. It was definitely not her plan, mm. nor was my plan to go to the bomb, mm. but it just happened. Mm. And so I was talking to her about it, and I was saying, well, maybe it's time to start learning the language. Maybe it's time to hire an Afghani staff member. Maybe it's time to go all in on that strategy and focus on it mm. because it's a great community um, and it's working well for you. Just do more of what you're already doing. Exactly. And it reminds me of, you know, my niche, which was the property investment space, yes. right? So I, before I even got in that space, I've read all of the property investment articles. I've um, read all the profiles. I've read lots of the, the property investment books. Uh, and then it came to the, well, if I'm going to attract these clients, I better have a portfolio myself. So I went and got to build up a property portfolio myself. So you become the expert in that niche. Yes. And then it's very hard for other people to strategically compete because you're so entrenched in, in what you do. And, um, you know, I guess which leads on to you and your niches. Yeah, so for us, um, we initially started focusing on good customers who were let down by our industry. So it could be that their situation was really complicated, like maybe a self-managed super fund, 
or it could be that they're outside normal lending criteria, maybe three months in a casual job or something like that. Mm. And um, But over time, it's really evolved and it's become more about the transaction. So it's been more about the purchases. Yes, okay. Um, and we're now evolving again to be more about our past clients. Yes. Because, um, you know, I mean, it's again, it's common sense, but for every working business, your past clients is the, it's the low end for Exactly. I say that all the time, yeah. you know. Yeah, to build a strategy and to, you know, like the credit niches and the thing takes many, many years. But the low hanging, low hanging fruit is to provide great service to the client and then to get on the phone and see what in what other needs and if they've got any like people yeah. that they can send to you know it's it's a no-brainer no-brainer and yet so few brokers do it and so you've got to look at why brokers don't call their past mm. clients and it's usually because they're too busy mm. and so what what i see it's about the broker again about strategic focus about saying no to certain things mm. so that they can do that high payoff activity which mm. is you know maybe if it's just calling three past clients every day oh exactly. which is pretty achievable exactly and yeah you start the numbers low and then they'll see the results you know come from just three phone calls right it's very achievable but you do it every day it's 15 clients for the week and then it's 60 clients for the month right yeah. so that's 60 more than they have previously been contacting and the value to their business is exponential. And obviously, you know, we, I think this is going to lead into to where we're going around sort of the changing role of a broker and the different sort of ways that a, that a broker can leverage their time and I call it the ultimate loan process in terms yeah. of looking at well, what, what does give that client that best experience to get them through to settlement and what are the key things in this changing marketplace with everything that's happened with the Royal um, Commission with all the APRA changes from you know going back five six years ago um, to the best interest duty to the review that's coming up in a couple of years time all this is adding complexity um, to to the lending so yeah tell me a little bit about you know We've had this uh, conversation offline, but tell me a little bit about the what you see as the your ultimate loan process, and yeah. what are the key things that a broker should be focusing on? What's the key activities that yeah. a broker should be focusing on? I see it as that the the broker role maybe fifteen years ago, ten years ago, it was quite possible for one person just to be a broker, see clients, submit the loans. All themselves and and that worked um, in the modern day and age it's so complicated I just don't think that it's a role for one person mm. you see that the um, you know the compliance side has added a lot of complexity mm. you see that credit has become a lot more complicated there's now so many little rules that can catch you out and um, I see as well that um, post settlement most brokers are just not doing it Mm. the reality um, and that that's um, all the top brokers are but it's it's a missed opportunity for a lot of people out there so what I see the solution we came up with is that we want to we've broken up the broker role to be multiple roles rather than just one role so um, most broken businesses what they do is they have broker and they have support staff 
Yep. So it's two two roles. Um, we've actually split it up into about five or so. Mm. So we have a inside sales team who handle the initial customer inquiry. Yep. And they um, you know filter out inquiries that are low value. And um, the, the goal of them is to make sure that the client is contacted as quickly as possible. Exactly. Then we've got the broker, yeah. um, who predominantly their job is, think of them as like the project manager for the loan. Okay. So their job is to talk to the client, set, you know, do a preliminary, yes, this looks like a deal, yeah. and get the documents together. Then we have a credit analyst, which their job is to assess the loan and to, um, based on the broker's notes, to make a good recommendation. Mm. Um, the broker will present that to the client. Mm. If that's all looking good, then we proceed now to our support staff who will submit the loan and manage it all the way to settlement. Yes. And then we have our post-settlement team who handle everything thereafter, all the annual reviews. Yeah. And by having that as a separate team, it means we'll, it'll definitely get done definitely. because um, the brokers are always busy um, and so we've just taken that responsibility off them altogether. Yeah. So just you know, going through those, the internal sales, the broker, and then the the credit analyst piece. And I yeah. think, yeah, in talking, this is a, this is a and in our business we had a a similar sort of thing because it became so complex, and especially yeah. you know dealing with investment clients, and you deal with a lot of complex lenders to do one serviceability calculator for someone with eight to ten properties. Can take you know sometimes while you vet everything and go through the statements in detail and and check off it can take forty five minutes to an hour you know so if you're looking at the the broker's hourly rate and you know most brokers would like to earn in the vicinity of you know let's say two hundred dollars an hour ideally they'd like to earn is it the best use of their time to do that when I can get someone in your case you've got a, a wage in the pool so it's going to be a little bit cheaper. Um, in our case, it was an in-house person, um, someone that is probably more skilled because, as you said, to get a broker that has the skills to have the sales ability, the detail to deal with compliance and going through the statements as you need to these days with a fine-tooth comb going through every expense and making sure that there's nothing there that, that we've missed and then going into you know, the complex servicing and um, calculators and then having the patience to deal with the banks um, and then to, to provide all the way to sell. You don't have one person with all of those skills. No, no. So, so by doing what you're saying, it's yeah. exactly right. You're splitting up the skill sets. Let the broker do what he's good at uh, and then the credit analyst, which is becoming a more, you know, unique sort of um, skill set. So it's something... Um, yeah, that I think that differentiates your business apart, that you've really invested in sort of the training and, and this particular role. Yeah, and uh, I see this with a lot of top brokers. They're doing it not necessarily the same way we've done it, but generally some kind of breaking the top broker's role into multiple roles. Mm. Um, some of them they have... Uh, someone whose job it is is to set the appointment with the client, get them to come into the office, give them the list of documents, make sure they bring all the documents. Mm. And then the broker only does, you know, a, a half hour or so appointment with that mm. client and then it's handed over to the credit person. Mm. And so they've got a slightly different structure, mm. um, but they have multiple 
staff to support that one broker. Oh, exactly. I think, I think in this day and age, for depending on writing a decent number of volume, it has to be something similar to that. The, you know, I guess the point of caution and you know, for the brokers out there is that at the end of the day, their name goes on that deal. So, you know, process is important, but compliance mm. is very important, right? Because you use your uh, couple of credit, the one credit, your whole business mm. can potentially be at risk. Um, so I like the way that you've done it where, you know, you've also almost got that, um, your own internal credit analyst, which becomes like a QA for the broker. It, it assures the quality that the broker's putting up, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And because you can systemize the process that a credit analyst goes through, they can make sure that all the compliance boxes are ticked quite easily. Yeah. Whereas you'll find that a broker typically will be focused on talking to customers and very often, um, generally, salesmen in any business tend to cut corners on processes exactly. because they want to speak to clients. Exactly. And you, you kind of need that, but at the same time, you need compliance as well. So, again, it's better just to separate the two roles. Yeah, definitely. And I think as you know, compliance is continuing to increase and the level of client, um, compliance and note-taking with the best interest duty just around the corner, you know, compliance isn't going away anytime soon, right? So it's about thinking, well, what's a better structure and what's a better ultimate loan process for me and my business? Because, um, you know, as we've found in our business, I think, and you know, we'll probably finish up with the, the tips to scale, but I think that leverage is definitely one of the, the, the key ways to, to scale a business. Absolutely. Yeah, so tips for scaling a business. So I think um, when you're a small business, you've got to identify um, probably a self-awareness. What are you actually good at? What are you not good at? Yeah. And what do you hate doing? What do you love doing? Oh, definitely, because yeah. you know, that gives you energy, right? Yeah, that's and right. so your staff can see how you show up every day. Yeah. And as the leader of that business, it's really important that you show up full. Yes. Right? Because they feed off you. Yeah. And you, you are the driving force of that business. So love that point. Yeah, so you set the tone. So if you figure out the things you don't like, things you're not good at, hire someone who loves that mm-hmm. and is good at it. Definitely. And then you're going to do better as a business and you're going to enjoy your business a lot better. Exactly. So that's a, that's a good first time mm-hmm. is what I would say. But I think every few years you've got to identify because over time your business will change and you'll notice new gaps in your business. Definitely. And, um, and as you grow, um, new gaps appear, and, and so then you need to hire to fill those gaps so that you don't get overwhelmed. And um, I think this is why so many brokers attract in their business mm. is that they don't know how to use hiring, structuring their organisation, career path, talent pipeline. These are all things from HR to build a business that's sustainable. Oh, definitely. I think, you know, leading on from what you said, I think, your own personal values come into it as well and your values can change over time, right? So if you suddenly have a new family or if you, you know, get to a financial level that that you're more comfortable with, you know, do you need to be doing the same level of hours that you once did? But unless you have that point in time or um, to really, you know, check your values, check 
your, your business direction and that you are heading in the right direction. It, it's so important to sort of recalibrate because, um, as we said, quite often through growth of a business, you will break your systems and processes. Absolutely. And then you'll have to go and rebuild them. That's right, re- yes. Rebuild them again. Uh, that rings yeah. very true <laughs> for me. Um, at many times in the business, something worked really well when we had five staff mm. and then when we had 20, it just failed miserably. Yeah. Um, and then when we had 30, it failed again. And, and so you're constantly, your, your business is evolving and anytime you get stuck, we are not able to scale any further. It means that there's there's a lesson for you to learn. Mm. And until you learn that lesson, you're going to be stuck there. And so um, I encourage you, if you've kind of plateaued for a while, take a step back and maybe get some advice. Mm. Um, I, I personally feel that when you're too close to the problem, it's very hard to see it clearly. And so you need either um, a, a coach or a mentor of some kind um, I, I personally like to get a lot of advice from people with a diverse range of experience, yeah. people within the industry, people from outside the industry as well. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah. yeah that's, and something that we're trying to do with our business is, yeah. is have those mastermind groups where you can network with um, not only myself as your coach but a number of other different businesses as part of the, the community to get that advice too because... Yeah, there's nothing that can't be solved if you get uh, a great bunch of you know like-minded and intelligent people together. It's amazing what you can come up with and watch this put it on the table. That was something that was really, really important um, for me for growing my business. Uh, once a month, I would meet up with a group of top brokers, mm. and um, also once a month, I'd meet up with a group of top business owners who are outside the industry. Yeah, and. It's rare that I've had a problem. In fact, I can't think of any that someone in one of those two groups hasn't faced before. Yeah. And so when you've got that um, that support behind you, success is not a one-person sport. It's a team sport. Exactly. I, I love the quote, you know, you don't network to get business. Yeah. You network to do business. And, mm. yeah, it's the same with building the relationships with the credit teams and the state managers and the, the relationship managers. And it's the same as your peers. And it's the same as your referral partners. You might not necessarily get business from them, but it will make it easier mm. for you to do your job because you can pick up the phone and go, hey, Absolutely. I've got this one. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what would you do in this situation? Um, so, so anything else? Any final tips before we leave on scale? Anything you think we've missed? Um, on scaling, I, I think there's a, a few a few short tips. Um, personally, I found leadership training very helpful. Okay. Uh, you, you'll find that if, if you're really going to grow a team, then it's no longer about you, it's about the team. Yeah. And that's a completely different skill set to being a top broker. Yes. So you've got to learn how to be a professional manager and yeah. learn how to be a leader. Yeah. And um, I think as well, a, a lot of brokers... Um, are not implementing business best practice. So if you go and talk to successful businesses and you look at just their rhythms and routines, how do they manage their business, you'll see a lot of common things like that they're always constantly looking for customer feedback and then they've got a feedback cycle to then improve what they're doing based on that feedback. It's happening all the time. Exactly. You see that all of them become masters at hiring. Mm. you see that all of them use visual management. So they have a, a dashboard 
um, so everyone in the team can quickly see how they're doing. And so there's a lot of things like this that brokers can do. And I recommend that keep it really simple. Mm. You don't need to the do kiss, anything fancy. The, the kiss principle, yeah. exactly. We overcomplicated things way too much, way too early. So on that, if, yeah. if there was just a couple of top three metrics yeah. in, in a broking business. Yeah, so I would look at lead indicators. Yeah. So a lag indicator is something like settlements. Yeah. It's very accurate, but it takes a long time to get, to get that yeah. number, right? Whereas a lead indicator might be something like number of phone calls made, number of appointments, yes. number of applications assessed, something that's right at the front of yeah, the process. I saw uh, in one of the business yesterday, the number of fact finds yeah. risk completed and received in that particular you know, week. So, you know, I think those things, because they're the things that are quicker that you can actually change, settlements that are happening is work that you've done three three months ago. Right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a result. It's it's not something that, that shows the activity. And you know, I was really impressed by your boards out there that, that show you can see the number of outbound phone calls that, that your teams make. You can see the activity, which then will lead and flow on to, to the results. And that's that's critical for if you're going to scale because as you scale, you lose visibility. Mm. When it's two people, you know exactly what's happening in the business. Mm. When it's 20, you've got no idea. Yeah. Key technologies, any key technologies for scale? Any, any sort of tips? For us, we haven't done anything too crazy yeah. with technology. We're, we're building some technology. But that aside, um, we're using mostly the same software as other connected yeah. brokers. We, we mostly just use Mercury, yeah. and we use um, G Suite, which is Google for business. Yeah. And we find that that fits our needs. What we find, we see a lot of brokers out there adding on additional CRMs and things like that. It, it just overcomplicates things, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, there are some businesses that do need it, but I think the vast majority of brokers keep it simple. Yeah. And to build technology costs millions of dollars. Mm. But if someone else builds it, then you can usually get software as a service for like $10 a month. Yeah, right? exactly. So just wait for someone to build it and then implement it. Yeah, yeah. great tips. Well, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for joining us today. It's been, uh, you've shared a wealth of information and uh, I think you know, it will add a lot of value, which is what we're here to do, is to sort of give back and, you know, help the broken community become more professional as a whole. So, yeah, thanks very much for your time, Otto. My pleasure.